0: Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. This afternoon as I was getting my thoughts together, I was sitting in room 5 and the shade was was up, so I could see and was watching um, everybody as they were coming into uh, into the meta and leaving at the end of the meta and um, it was really uh, lovely for me um, i don 't know how it was for you, but <laughs> for me, just watching you. Uh, come in and just, and seeing each person, uh, many of whom I've gotten to know, um, but even those who I didn't know, each one just um, connecting with the sincerity as each person was doing their practice, looking relatively mindful, or at least attempting to be mindful, Um, and, um, I was, I was moved just how fortunate that we're all here and, and for me, and I think I can speak for my colleagues, just how, um, how privileged it is to, to be, um, processing and, or guiding or supporting your your experience <clears throat> and um, as I thought about it each person walking relatively mindfully some seeming quite mindful um, just reflecting that everybody is trying to do this main task of opening to the moment and being with what's here. And I thought to myself, really, what could be easier? What could be simpler than one would think opening to the moment, to this moment right now, and being with what's here? And then my response was, um, as you probably could agree, almost anything. (laughs) Almost anything is easier than just opening to this moment and being with what's here. Isn't that strange? I mean, this present moment is here for us all the time and all we have to do is pay attention how many times were you told when you were growing up pay attention you know they were right right (laughs) but it's so hard pay attention why is it so hard and especially when you're you're told and given lots of good reasons that mindfulness is the most wonderful way, the most direct way to end pain, sorrow, anxiety, grief, despair, realize the highest happiness. You'd think that, you know, you'd really say, okay, All right, I'm going to do it. And actually, we are saying, All right, I'm going to do it. But it's so challenging. One way that I have of practicing, by the way, is uh, my reflection to myself that every moment counts. Every moment of mindfulness counts. This is a little. pep talk I give to myself when I'm practicing. Every, and I, I honestly believe what it says in the, uh, in the teachings. I've kind of, I've intuited for myself every single moment of mindfulness you're weakening, deconditioning greed, hatred, and delusion and you are cultivating non-greed, non-hatred, and non-delusion. Every single moment even if it doesn 't seem like much, so i i 've adopted from for many years one of Joseph's, joseph 's joseph goldstein 's instructions uh, he's, he would i don 't know if he says it these days but he would say he uh, to accumulate npms noticings per minute right? that 's my job okay i 'll just accumulate as many moments of mindfulness, noticings per minute as I can. Whatever I'm seeing, that's secondary to the fact that I am going to accumulate these moments of mindfulness and they will somehow seem to transform in amazing ways the the unwholesome qualities into wholesome qualities. So... There's a, a strong incentive to open to the moment. But, as I say, and we all know, it's hard. And I wanted to talk tonight about what, why it's hard, what gets in the way, and different attitudes or qualities that can support that opening. Learning to open to this moment is really against all our conditioning. We have very strong conditioning to respond with contraction in relationship to experience. If the experience is an unpleasant moment, the feeling tone of unpleasant, As you've heard a few times, we contract against it with aversion. That's a contraction. And if the experience or the moment is a pleasant one, we also contract around it with grasping, with attachment, with whatever of those you want to pick. Craving, clinging grasping attachment wanting good i want it okay so with both of these it's such a strong conditioning to contract in relationship to experience that the thought of opening to experience is is really radical that means if there's an unpleasant moment that we somehow train our minds and our hearts to open to it, even though the instinct is to close. Okay, can I be with this? Can I feel this unpleasantness in the body or the mind? And if the moment is pleasant, it's radical to say, okay, can I be with this without getting hooked in wanting more. Radical. So what we're doing goes against all the conditioning that most of humanity has um, strongly, not only cultivated, but living in and not realizing there's another uh, more beneficial way. So... What does get in the way of our opening? Or, you know, as I said, the conditioning gets in the way, but a few places that particularly I'd like to look at that that conditioning is so strong and uh, just seeing how, can, uh, how, how what we're doing, whether it's conscious or not, is supporting that opening, but that we can consciously bring certain qualities that will support that opening. And some of these are things that you've heard here before, either in passing or in a, in a meditation, uh, guided meditation, but I just want to go into uh, in a little bit more depth, and some of them we haven't spoken of just yet. So, one aspect of our conditioning that gets in the way of opening to our experience is wishing things were different. Either wishing things were different or wishing we were different. Understandable. If it's not a pleasant moment, why not wish they were different? Well, the problem is if they are like they are and you wish they were different, you're going to be causing some suffering to yourself. So what is one antidote, one quality that directly directly addresses this tendency To wish things were different is the quality of forgiveness. It's been mentioned a bit on uh, in the talks and I know Susie led a uh, a very um, um, powerful forgiveness practice that uh, that really um, affected a number of, of people here. Forgiveness This is the antidote to the complaining mind. This is the antidote that says, instead of, why is this happening? Somehow it's okay. Or, I can open my heart to this too. Forgiveness is not tolerating. It's not kind of waiting things out okay, they said it would pass sooner or later, so let's just kind of get on with it. There is, as I think everybody in this room knows, a kind of mysterious magic in that letting go of the contraction. It's a true acceptance of things as they are. And this can be experienced on the cushion, forgiveness towards ourself, or if we are somehow uh, caught in a in a mind pattern of anger towards another here on retreat or in our life forgiveness when appropriate and when possible towards others and forgiveness towards life that is giving us what we are needing to deal with. So I want to talk about each of these. Forgiveness towards ourself. And we've been talking about metta for self and done some practices with forgiveness towards self. I want to ask you just reflect in your own practice, When your mind wanders these days, what's your relationship to it? We can either feel frustrated and say, come on, let's get with the program. Or we can have an attitude of genuine forgiveness that your mind, which you've been training your mind and your heart, they're both the same word in in Pali-citta, has been really going through a profound training these last weeks and working with all the conditioning that you've brought. How do you relate to it? I hope by now you're seeing the power of kindness to it, of not scolding it. That every time you do scold it or feel frustrated, all you're doing is contracting more. So if you're thinking of this as learning to open, the act of forgiveness is a direct encouragement and support of that opening to the moment, just by opening to what's going on within your mind. Oh, okay. It's like a little child that doesn't know any better. Would you scold a little child that doesn't know any better? Come on, what it needs is a little bit of kindness, a little bit of encouragement, maybe a firm direction, but loving direction forgiving your mind, forgiving your body. How are you in relationship to your body these days when there's something hurting or you can't do what you'd like to or be as limber or do what you used to be able to do? How are you in relationship to your body? Do you get annoyed with it? Do you get discouraged by it? Do you scold it? Your body that's been serving you as best it can your whole life, and here on the retreat, how do you deal with it? How do you relate to it? Can you bring a little bit of forgiveness to it and realize with appreciation that it's doing the best it can? And then there's of course forgiveness for our past actions. It's not so unusual that we do a replay of everything that we've that's gone on in our life. How can we forgive ourselves for that? We've spoken a little bit about that before about how you're a different person than you were when you did things out of ignorance and didn't realize? Is that is that plaguing you? Is that is there a way that those memories and those actions keep you from opening up to the moment? How can there be some kind of resolve, as the Buddha talked about, wise remorse, wise reflection, that says, okay, this is what I've learned from this. How can I bring some kindness so that I can open up to my humanity, do whatever needs to be done to make amends if possible, and in that opening up to myself, my humanness, to allow myself to open up to the moment. the more we can bring forgiveness to our own experience, to our mind, to our body, to our past, the more we're able to bring forgiveness to others in our life. It's, it's very basic, that practice. We direct it inwards, and then we can genuinely feel it outwards in its own time. I think it was mentioned. Was uh, I wasn't here for a few talks. It was it was the phenomenon, the vv phenomenon mentioned here? You know. That the vv when you ha- I wouldn't wish it on anybody, mind you. But when it's here, it's a great practice to to just see, you know, this person who you never spoken to before, probably, and there you are projecting everything on to them. If they weren't here, my, med- my retreat would be great. You can shift your relationship to it. On one retreat, I, here's a VV story that's just coming to mind. I hadn't thought about uh, putting it in, but uh, here it is. On one retreat, uh, it was an early retreat, a three-month course at, uh, at IMS, and they used to have what was called Concentration Week, where You sit like in a Zen style around the perimeter of the of the room and you sat in a and did uh, Zen style walking as a group and that was your seat for the whole week, right? You didn't just kind of come in and, you know, if you felt like moving, sit in a chair or, you know, this is Zen, this is serious business, right? And uh, so I got my seat and next to me was this guy who had this um, really loud erratic cough. So it was just kind of... I'd be sitting there "Ah!" (laughs) and then I'd get quiet. (laughs) And it was it was pretty jarring. And there was nowhere I could move, right? I was, this was it, for the week. I went through, I was a little bit anxious the first, first day. And, um, you know, just wishing him well, but it would have been nice if he was just a little farther away from me. Right? <laughs> and um, I thought, I'm going to go crazy if I don't figure out something here. So I, I decided every time he coughed instead of getting annoyed and angry with him i was going to check and see if i was mindful in that moment so i'd be sitting (coughs) yeah i was here (coughs) oh no i was gone thank you very much (laughs) and i had this whole different relationship around him being there as the week went on he Started getting better, and I felt good for him. But I was I was missing his cough. You know, <laughs> I think, wait a second. There's my checker. You know, it was just so interesting how you can change your relationship. But you know this this is going to be just pissing you off. And oh, okay, different relationship. Now, that's an easy one, easier to practice. But then there's people in our lives who we have some unresolved stuff. And forgiveness is a powerful practice. I'm not saying to forgive and forget and saying, okay, it's cool. You need to, we need to go through all the grief, all the hurt, all the rage that is there to process that. You can't bypass the pain. But at some point to realize that, especially if you are spinning your wheels, as can easily happen over and over, this person is the problem and they are keeping us from opening up to the moment. How can you have A different kind of relationship than wishing they were different and particularly if something happened in the past I I forget if I mentioned this uh, this line that I love Uh, forgiveness is giving up all hope of a better past you cannot change the past but you could be holding on for a long time for a lifetime and who is hurting? You know, the, the, the image the Buddha gives of holding on to our anger is like taking a, a hot coal and wanting to throw it at somebody and not realizing that you're the one that's getting burned. Or another image that I like. It's like um, drinking poison and hoping the other person's gonna get sick, you know. Forgiveness is not just a nice thing to do for somebody else. It is something that we are the, the beneficiaries of. Here is um, the benefits of forgiveness. This is by Fred Luskin who runs the Stanford Forgiveness Center and done a lot of research with it. People who are more forgiving have report fewer health problems, less stress, may be more important than hostility as a risk factor for heart disease, forgiveness. Fa- failure to forgive may be more important than hostility as a risk fac- factor for heart disease. People who blame others for their troubles have higher incidences of illness such as cardiovascular diseases and cancers, and people who imagine forgiving their offenders note immediate improvement in their cardiovascular, muscular, and nervous systems." This is research that Stanford has done. And here's a a a beautiful quote from uh, Desmond Tutu who chaired the Truth and Reconciliation process in South Africa, an extraordinary process and an extraordinary uh, human being who chaired that process. He puts it this way, to forgive is the highest form of self-interest. I need to forgive so that my anger and resentment and lust for revenge don't corrode my own being. so when we're forgiving if this is getting in the way of your learning to open or being open to the moment because you're caught in in that again it's acknowledging the pain and the that you feel but all, also understanding that what happened from somebody who's done something that's really unskillful, comes out of their own pain and confusion. I, I remember walking in, uh, it was at uh, Berkeley, UC Berkeley, in, in the halls uh, of, of the university, and I saw this poster that was really um, striking and, and moved me. And it was of a, of a um, little boy with a very sad expression on his face. And it said, um, children who grow up in a home where there's domestic violence are 700 times more likely to be involved in domestic violence in their adulthood. So, either on on either end, I would imagine, either receiving or perpetrating. So when I and when I read that. Who's to blame? Chances are the person who's who's been very unskillful has been on the receiving end of that kind of treatment as well. Who's to blame? I, I, I In this one retreat, I was sitting at the Forest Refuge, and I thought I had reviewed my... Life and my family history many times over my retreat career, but uh, this this one time it was, was maybe about five years or so ago, I had this experience where I just saw my family and my family's um, families, nuclear families, and back and back and back and back and that reflection from that poster came to my mind. And it was it was so clear in that moment. Everybody was just doing the best they could, given their very strange, at times, conditioning, and given their own confusion and what they grew up with. And there was this the title over the scene that has stayed with me, of uh, one of Trungpa Rinpoche's books, which the title of the book says it all, Dharmas Without Blame, came over that scene. Dharmas Without Blame. It was a, a very powerful moment for me where I could really let go of vestiges of, yeah, but they did that. Or why did they do that? And just seeing all causes and conditions and ignorance expressing itself as well as love and beauty in its own ways. The Dalai Lama talks about, um, he says, when somebody has done something to you, and this is in, in the less traumatic uh, realm. Somebody has done something that ticks you off. He says, understand if they've upset you that it's not usually that they're doing it to you. It's just that their internal reality is intersecting with your internal reality in a way that doesn't match up with what your expectations are. But everybody is going around with their own internal reality that makes sense to them, as bizarre as it might be. And we just sometimes meet in ways that are painful and hurtful and that really need honoring and processing. But to see that, that Dharma is without blame, really changes things. And if you're not ready to forgive someone else, which is often the case, you can't hurry the process, then to bring forgiveness to yourself for being just where you are, just anywhere where that kindness, that kind heart can come in and say, this is just where I am, this is just what I need to honor in my process, instead of hurrying up the show. But to know that that inclination towards somehow dropping that hot coal is in your own best interest. One thing that forgiveness does, by the way, is it's, it's actually acknowledging a Nietzsche, the, the fact that things change. Because when we are stuck in holding someone freeze-framing them in a certain moment then we're not acknowledging how things can change. Imagine somebody taking a picture of you in one of your most ignoble moments right you're losing it with your kids or with your best friend or partner or whatever and you're going and then somebody would come along and take a little picture right? Say, ooh, what an unpleasant person they are, you know. Then they put it in their pocket, six months later, yep, still an unpleasant person, yuck, you know. You know, Five years later, yuck, they are just so unpleasant. You know? They might be on a beach in Hawaii having a great time and you're the one, every time you think of them, that's getting burned. So, This is just something to keep in mind if you are caught in that wishing they were different or wishing the past was different. I just wanna ask you for a moment, just what needs forgiveness right now in your practice? Just reflect either towards yourself, towards another, or towards life, Wishing things had been different. And without pretending you're anywhere then other than where you are, just see what's the payoff in holding on? And what would you need to understand? in order to somehow let go or come to terms, have some resolution with it. Just imagine what that would be like, giving that to yourself. how much easier it might be to be here, present for your experience, instead of being in the past. Okay, so that's one way that we get caught, wishing things had been different, wishing we were different, wishing they were different, and forgiveness. An antidote. Another way, another thing that keeps us from opening to this moment as it is, is our hoping things will change. Hoping things will get better. Not so much about the past, but a bit more about the future. Where somehow this moment isn't enough as it is. When this moment isn't enough or we're hoping that it's going to get better, there's a contraction not being willing to open up to things as they are. One antidote for this, which we are practicing in a very um, direct way, is patience. But it's something that we we can actually bring consciously into our practice. Oh, I'm developing patience. It's a, a saying that the spiritual journey requires a, a cup of wisdom, a barrel of love, and an ocean of patience. Because if there's true patience, then you can simply be here as that change naturally occurs, because things do change. Patience is one of the ten paramis, paramitas, kanti it's called. And basically, it's not waiting things out. Okay, I'll, I'll be, you know, it's funny, they call them patience. You're in the waiting room, you know. I'll be a good patient. I'll wait. You know. Patience isn't about waiting for things to change. It's really about dropping into this moment and letting it be as it is. There's a, a Zen cartoon, maybe uh, you're familiar with. It's a, it's a great cartoon. There's the the new the new uh, novice student and the old uh, the old experienced practitioner in the zendo, and the um, the Zen uh, the new student is looking at the door leaning forward, and the uh, experienced practitioner turns to him and he says, nothing happens next, this is it. (laughs) You ever have that feeling? Okay, come on, let's get on with it. It's so painful, and it's also, uh, it keeps you from being here right now. Here's a little uh, exercise. I don't think I, I did this here. Uh, the, the one, we, did I, have you lean forward Do this? Okay, just imagine this so you get a, a, a visceral feeling of what it's, what it's like, the difference. Imagine something that you're looking forward to in this retreat. Maybe it's, you know, leaving. <laughs> Maybe it's a great sitting. Maybe it's whatever, whatever it is, you know, either on this retreat or if, you, if something comes into your mind that you really are looking forward to in your life. Just imagine it just slightly out of your reach. Right? And if you can lean forward enough and you can touch it, instant gratification. Okay? So just play along with this for a moment. So imagine it's right there. Keep your butt on the chair or the cushion. And I'd like you to go for it. Come on, lean forward. Come on, really try it. It's just out of your reach. And then you realize it's not going to happen. So now slowly come on back to center. And notice the difference in your body. Can you feel the difference not just understand oh yeah I got it but feel the difference this is really unpleasant as tantalizing and seductive as it is this is where peace is to be found right here right now it's all here that's why there's refuge in the present so patience a big one. On the, the first time I did a three-month retreat, and maybe I think some of you can relate to this, uh, by the third day, my mind was going 11, hour, uh, 11 weeks, So that's what it said, 11 weeks, 11 weeks, 3 days, 15 hours, and 20 minutes to go. I'm never going to make it, you know. Oh, God. Has a thought like that ever occurred to you (laughs) while you're here? And I got really scared, you know, by that time. Oh, God, 11 weeks, three days to go. What did I get myself into? That was the thought that went along with that. Fortunately, somebody gave a talk about patience just around that time. And every time I'd see myself leaning forward... It would just be a reminder, "Come right back. It's all happening right now., yeah. oh, it's happening right now." And it is happening right now. Not only that, but the leaning forward was a drag each time. It just got me anxious, nervous, and one moment at a time, I've never seen a retreat that stopped in the middle they always keep on going and end you know so if that thought comes to you or my fantastic experience when i'll know the payoff you know forget it forget it this is really causing yourself some dukkha mm. another way that we get caught in hoping things will change, is when it's just not stimulating enough and we can get bored. Have you ever gotten bored on the cushion? Are you here? Boredom is a big one, is a real big one. and, And you kind of feel a little funny for complaining because, you know, you're not going through major body dukkha or major, you know, eruptions. It's just kind of like, you know, is this all there is? Oh God, you know, why am I complaining? You know, I'm not in pain. There's got to be more. I'm going to go out of my skull. This is so boring. Boredom is a very powerful mind state, to work with. I once went to, I uh, uh, once heard Trungpa Rinpoche. Uh, I used to go to Naropa each, each summer, so I, I heard Trungpa a lot. And on this one talk, um, he came in, and he usually came in like an hour and a half to two hours late, right? So there you were kind of like waiting around, you know. But, that, but you kind of came like an hour late. Because you knew he was going to be an hour and a half late at least. Except one time he came on time, and that he talked for 20 minutes to about 50 people and then left. You know, so he made sure that you came on time. And uh, and there he he came in, and he sits down, and he says, uh, tonight I'm going to talk about the breakthrough in practice. Everybody got really excited, right? Oh, he's going to give us the secret teachings tonight. Great. And then he proceeded to kind of ramble on for the next hour, an hour and a half, maybe close to two hours, people getting kind of fidgety, like, oh, what's going on here? You know, he's not very scintillating tonight. And then in mid-sentence, he leans forward and he says... The real breakthrough is boredom. It was brilliant. I've never forgotten that lecture. And then he went on to say if you're waiting for the goodies, for the entertainment, you're going to miss out on the moment. This is it. So, what goes on when we're bored? A lot goes on when we're bored. We might just say, oh, boring. But if you look at it, it's actually quite interesting. Boredom can be fascinating. There's wanting in the mind, there's aversion that's happening, there's restlessness that's happening. And we just cover the whole thing over and say, boring. But to go underneath it, you see, oh, wow, this is what's really going on. And when you think about it, what is boredom? Lack of stimulation. What is peace? Lack of being stimulated. There's one way you can think of as peace. Sure, there's a peace that's here in the midst of stimulation as well. But those times that it gets really quiet and probably most of you have experienced peace, right? Oh, it's so nice. Oh. And then at another time, the same kind of stillness and non-eventful experience. Can be boring. Let's get a little bit more. Really the flip side of boredom is peace. Just what you've been looking for all along. So what's the attitude? Well one is letting go of agendas and thinking that things should be different. But really it's about a quality of contentment contentment with things are as things as they are. We've been doing the equanimity practice these last couple of days. Things are as they are. That is one of the most profound attitudes we can have to experience. In the Metta Sutta that that we chant in the evening, where it says, contented and easily satisfied, contented and easily satisfied this is a heart that we can wish everyone just to consciously practice being contented and easily satisfied with things as they are in the uh, in the blessing sutta also the mangala sutta where it talks about the contentment being content and grateful and patient, these are blessings supreme. Now, I was thinking about the, uh, the Sinead O'Connor song, I Do Not Want What I Haven't Got. That's pretty cool. To just want what you have, want what's here, not with more grasping, but just, oh, great, this is a moment of life. But in our Culture, we're so conditioned to want more. Is, this all, is that all there is, as we say? Our culture, which is run on consumption. This is also heavy-duty conditioning. This is um, from the economist Victor Lebeau. Uh, right after World War II, uh, he was writing about consumer society our enormously productive economy demands that we make consumption our way of life that we convert the buying and use of goods into rituals that we seek our spiritual satisfaction our ego satisfaction in consumption we need things consumed burned up replaced and discarded at an ever accelerating rate that's the conditioning that we've that we're up against. Here's the antidote that uh, the Buddhist economist and uh, brilliant scholar and, uh, and monk uh, P.A. Paiuto writes about. Wise consumption, an awareness of that optimum point where enhancement of true well-being coincides with the experience of satisfaction. Consumption in contrast to maximum consumption leading to more satisfaction, we have moderate or wise consumption leading to well-being. Basically we see more isn't better. You get to the point where, oh this is enough. Well in the meditation practice we bring it down to this moment being enough. When I asked Ram Dass, uh, about, uh, I visited Ram Dass a uh, uh, year before last in Hawaii, and he said he was writing a book about contentment. And I said, oh, cool. Um, what's, can you just give me the gist of it so I don't have to wait until it's finished? And he smiled and he said, yeah, uh, the gist of it, contentment is plumbing the depths of this moment. That's what contentment is, to plumb the depths of this moment, to really deeply connect with this moment. As Fritz Perls said, boredom is just lack of attention. Same thing, to really go in deeply. And the mindfulness practice can bring that to us. In every moment, we can open up and see what's here and maybe even appreciate whether it's a lesson or a blessing just for a moment go inside and um, notice something in this moment to appreciate just as you allow for it all what is there that could be appreciated just in this moment. Plumb the depths. Okay, you can open your eyes. Just take a few comments. What did you notice to appreciate? One person? Yeah. Sangha. Sangha. Beautiful. What else? The room's warm. Yeah, a nice warm room. Great. And we have a room. Yeah, we have a room. Great. What's again? The breath. It get? The breath. The breath. The Here it is. You're alive. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. An inspiring talk. Oh, an inspiring talk. Yeah. So many things plumb the depths of this moment. Not to miss it. So I'll move on. It's not that much time and a lot more to, than I was going to say, but contentment with what is. Okay. I'll just mention a couple of things quickly. Other things that keep us from opening to what's here are ideas and our limiting beliefs about what's happening or what should be happening. And particularly where this comes up is in trying to figure things out. (coughs) Trying to figure things out is almost guaranteed to lead to more dukkha. That's where there's this surrender in the equanimity of just being with things as they are Because when you're bringing the thinking mind into it, it's it's going to contract. The thinking mind often contracts. Every now and then there's an insight. When there's an insight, you see, ah, aha, that's an open, that's an expansion, ah. Generally because you weren't trying to think your way through. It just appeared and then there's that opening and connections get made. And that's what we're doing. We're opening in the practice and then insights, connections get made. But when we try to figure out, it works against us. Here's from one yogi who was on her first retreat and she was giving herself a really hard time just spinning her wheels and she got it towards the end. She said the one thing that is indelibly in my brain is finally realizing what you've been saying you don't have to figure it out that would never ever register in my brain as an option before yesterday I was walking and struggling in my mind thinking round and round and this voice came into my head that said you don't have to figure it out and I stopped and close my eyes and ask myself, what is true right now in this moment? And what was true was the rising and falling of my breath and various body sensations coming and going. And the rest will balance itself out in its own time, I thought to myself. And I resumed my walking. What a revelation! Make it easier on yourself. Don't try to figure it out. Just open up to the moment as it is. It's here for you. All kinds of ideas, all kinds of assessments, all kinds of limiting beliefs. Oh, I'm someone who can't because, or in order to awaken, I need to such and such. Let go of those assumptions and those mind games that, you impose on yourself. Just think what it would be like if you saw those ideas as just mental formations and didn't believe them. If you changed whatever underlying assumptions so that they supported you in your practice. Finally, lastly, Along those lines, what keeps us from opening up to the moment as it is, is we take our experience personally. We get offended or we get humbled or we get, you know, lost and I can't believe I'm here again. If you can see through that and not take it personally, that's the end of suffering. One support for not taking things personally is keeping a sense of humor about things. I mentioned this in an earlier talk. If you can have a sense of humor you're in on the joke instead of the butt of the joke. And in a moment it can change. on one retreat, I had a, a jukebox going on. I often have a jukebox going on in my head. Right? It's just part of the deal. I love music and love songs. And I had this one song. It was from Bob Dylan's mo- most brilliantly depressing period. <laughs> I was a big Bob Dylan fan. Visions of Johanna, right? if you know. And this is on a three-month retreat, and this song goes ain't it just like the night to play tricks when we're trying to be so quiet we're sitting here stranded though we're all doing our best to deny it this is on a three-month retreat right <laughs> and it went on and on and on one solid week I couldn't get it out of my head right I was gonna go crazy magically after a week, the needle, it was the days of vinyl, skipped to a, a later verse in the song that starts off, Oh, little boy lost, he takes himself so seriously. <laughs> in that moment, the whole heaviness, solemnity just broke. Like, wow, that's what's going on. Night and day. you know. And it later... The jukebox flipped to take it easy. ah! Don't let the sound of your own wheels drive you crazy. Lighten up while you still can. I kept on playing that. I never got tired of that one. Lighten up (laughs) while you still can. Have a sense of humor. If you can go from, oh, look at this mind to, wow, look at the mind do its thing. It's amazing that spaciousness of the humor kind of lightens things up and you can just not take it so personally. If you do take it personally then compassion is the next thing, you know, for how easily we get caught and know that you're not alone in this. You've got a lot of company. So these are just a few different ways. Forgiveness, patience, letting go of agendas, some humor, not figuring things out, all so you can open up to this moment just as it is. And this moment which is here for you every single moment has peace, has clarity, has wisdom, has awe, has wonder, has compassion, It's the only place that those things can be found and realized. And it's calling you all the time. So I'll close with uh, a favorite passage from Shantideva about the amazing capacity of this moment. As a blind person feels upon finding a pearl in a dustbin, so am I amazed by the miracle of awakening rising in my consciousness. It is the nectar of immortality that delivers us from death, the treasure that lifts us above poverty into the wealth of giving to life the tree that gives shade to us when we roam about scorched by life, the bridge that takes us across the stormy river of life, the cool moon of compassion that calms our mind when it is agitated, the sun that dispels darkness, the butter made from the milk of kindness by churning it with the Dharma. It is a feast of joy to which all, are invited. And it's here for us every moment that we open up to the present. Let's sit for a moment.